Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. This week, we'll learn about the God-given gifts we all have and what happens when we don't use our gifts to serve others. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess before you today that you are the one at work in this world. You are the one calling people to yourself, building your kingdom. Lord God, we marvel in your work. And God, we are grateful that you include us in what you're doing in this world. And so, Father, we pray today asking that you would make your will, your place for us, your way for us, clear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're asking the question, how can we use our God-given gifts in this world? What, what difference do those God-given gifts make in the world? In a sense, that is the question that George Bailey is asking in It's a Wonderful Life. Looking back at his life so far, he sees that he's living in the town he didn't want to live in. He is leading the building and loan that his family had run, and he never wanted to do that. And we also discover that the building and loan has run out of money. His goofy uncle has, in his, has, has mistakenly lost money again, and now the examiners are going to come and discover that the deposits are gone, and George Bailey is headed to jail. And so he comes to the conclusion that the world would be better off if he were dead. In fact, he eventually comes to the conclusion that the world would be better off if he had never been born. Now, in heavenly places, Clarence the angel, a junior angel, has the opportunity to see the difference that George's life has made. Now, I recognize this is terrible theology. It's a movie. Go with the movie for just a minute. And Clarence sees in a a backcast film role that George saved his brother when he was younger. George helped a pharmacist to avoid giving a wrong drug and and endangering a patient's life. George is the one who has saved the building and loan. And that's just the beginning of the things that George has done in his life. And so Clarence the angel helps George to see what a difference the world would be if George had never been born. He gets to see what would have happened if he were never a part of the world. If George were never a part of the world... Well, then his brother would have drowned when he was younger. If George had never been a part of the world, well, then that pharmacist would have sent out the wrong prescription and killed the patient in the process. If George had never been part of the world, then the building and loan would have failed, the town miser would have taken over, and the town would have fallen apart. And that's just the beginning of what would have happened if George had never been born. So what difference does using our God-given gifts really fundamentally make? As we look at Ephesians chapter 4 today, Paul is really addressing that. He's demonstrating what a difference some God-given gifts make in the church. And in the process, in a sense, he is showing us what the case would be if those God-given gifts were never used in the church in the first place. 
Now, as we all think about our God-given gifts today, we're all making decisions about whether or not to use them and where. And the simple fact of the matter is that we're weighing that decision. And we recognize the value that our gifts could have, but at the same time, we recognize that using them comes with some risks to us. We recognize that sometimes it's a little bit fearful to use our gifts. Sometimes it's a little bit inconvenient to use our gifts. Sometimes we know that we're going to run into a little bit of opposition if we use our gifts. And so we're weighing this question for ourselves. But here's the amazing thing. What Paul helps us to do today is see, as we make that calculation ourselves, we get to see and to think about the difference that our gifts make in the world, and we get to think about the difference that the absence of those gifts would make in the world. Through Ephesians chapter 4, Paul calls us to think about both. Now, as we dig into Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see today that God gives some gifts to build up the church. And and Paul lists five gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that indeed build up the church. Paul writes, and he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul starts with these five gifts that are given to the church. He starts with the gift of apostleship. Apostles, in some ways, are those 12 people that did life very closely with Jesus in the New Testament. Eventually, Jesus sends them out. He designates them as apostles. They go out with his power and with his message. Now, eventually we recognize the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus and left the 12. But what we find, importantly, is that in the book of Acts, the remaining 11 choose a 12th who has been with Jesus, who has seen Jesus, is a witness to the resurrection, and can continue the job of witnessing to the fact that Jesus is Lord and is alive. And so they recomplete the 12. In some ways, the apostles are those 12. As we continue studying the New Testament, though, what we discover is that significant churches throughout the ancient world began to send out emissaries. Some of these emissaries had had experiences with the risen Christ, as Paul did. And they go out and they proclaim the gospel, they start churches, they make new disciples, and they have influence over multiple churches. And in the New Testament, we call these apostles. Now, as the first century closes, some people would say that the gift of apostleship is no longer active in the world. But if it is, here's what the gift of apostleship looks like. An apostle is one who proclaims broadly and regionally the good news about Jesus Christ. That person has a very deep sense of calling and of sense that this is what Jesus wants him to do or her to do. That person plants churches and makes disciples and influences many churches in the process, the gift of apostleship. The second gift that Paul talks about is the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy means that one is able to speak the message of God through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Those who have the gift of prophecy sometimes exhort the church to be prepared for the future that God has planned. And sometimes prophets exhort us to live faithfully here and now. Prophets at times encourage the church and at times confront the church. 
But now that the witness of Scripture, the Bible, is closed, the prophet is responsible to the church to speak a message that is in keeping with the balance of Scripture. So we have apostles and we have prophets. Paul also speaks of evangelists. Evangelists are those who proclaim, typically beyond the boundaries of a local church, the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the discipline of evangelism or the process of evangelism. That belongs to each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we tell the good news about Jesus. But those with a gift of evangelism do so with most, if not all, of their time, and they do so with an empowerment by the Holy Spirit such that they tend to see many more people come to know Jesus Christ. So we have apostles, prophets, evangelists. And then Paul goes on to talk about shepherds. Shepherds are those who have care as pastors for local churches, like Real-life shepherds, they tend sheep, but instead of being sheep out in the field, the, the New Testament talks about us as followers of Jesus as sheep under the care of shepherds. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. I am the model here. I lay down my life for my flock, for my sheep, for my followers. And so shepherds, pastors, like shepherds in the field and like Jesus himself, tend to the people of God, the flock that belongs to God. And then we have teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And to say that one teaches is not simply that one dispenses knowledge, but to say that one teaches means that we shape lives in the way that one disciples another in a life-on-life kind of process. And these are the five gifts that Paul says are given specifically for the purpose of building up the church. Now, when we say build up the church, what do we mean? What Paul is saying is that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers equip the church. And to equip means to give everything that is needed for an end, which should lead us to ask, then what is the end that we're being equipped for? And Paul says the end that we're being equipped for is the work of the church, the ministry that we are to do. And so apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are given to the church specifically for the purpose of building the church up and equipping it for the work of ministry that's given to the church. Now, Paul talks in other places about other gifts. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about gifts of helping and administration. In Romans, Paul talks about mercy and leadership and giving. And if we look back to the Old Testament, we can even see a suggestion that there is perhaps a gift of craftsmanship. So there are other gifts And by gifts right now, what I'm talking about are spiritual gifts. These are empowerments given to individual believers by Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. But as we look at these five in particular, what we find is that these gifts, these five gifts, impact the entire church. These gifts, these five gifts, impact the entire church. And that impact is listed by Paul in verses 13 and 14, where he goes on to write, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, as I read what Paul wrote here, I can't help but thinking about my own physical children growing up and the processes that they went through. I remember what it was like when one of my sons was learning how to eat solid food. I remember that we would cut up soft food and put it on the tray on his high chair. And I remember him going in for one piece at a time with muscles that didn't quite work and picking up that one piece and dragging it slowly toward his mouth. And then I would remember him getting frustrated and he would stop picking up one and he would go in for a handful and he would ram it on his mouth and it would get all over his cheeks and go all over the high chair. And eventually he would get so frustrated that he would face plant in the pile. <laughs> and I know that that child who had such a difficult time learning to eat solid food in the first place is now one of my two children who both live in apartments of their own and they cook their own food every day and they eat that food on their own because they've grown, they have matured, they have learned how to eat and to feed themselves. And it reminds me of the process that we go through of growing from being spiritual children to becoming spiritual parents. Now, right here, Paul is giving us a warning of what it is to be a spiritual child. And what Paul is telling us here about being spiritual children is that when we are spiritual children, we're weak and we're vulnerable. Paul says that as spiritual children, we are sometimes tossed to and fro. We are led from this way to that way when we are spiritual children. Paul says that when we're spiritual children, we are led astray by bad doctrine. We hear a piece of doctrine, and in, in our spiritual immaturity, it sounds good to us, and all of a sudden, we're chasing off after that bad doctrine because we don't know any better. And Paul goes on to add that, that we are sometimes tossed to and fro by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And what he's saying is that that sometimes we are led astray, we are confused, we're thrown off target, we're thrown off balance in life by, by ideas, but sometimes it is by the behavior and, and the conduct and the, and the thinking and the attitude of other people. He's acknowledging the fact that sometimes we are led astray by others and it's accidental, but he's implying that at times it is on purpose. Others are trying to lead us astray and confuse us and damage us on purpose. And behind what he's overtly warning us is the implication that sometimes it's just a person who is leading us astray. And sometimes behind that person is a darker spiritual power seeking to do damage to us in our spiritual immaturity. And now what Paul is saying here is that these five gifts are given to the church for the purpose of building us up so that we might become mature. In other words, the gifts of apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching are given to the church in order that the church might grow up, in order that we might move from being spiritual children to becoming spiritual parents. That's why those gifts, in part, are given to the church, to build up and cause to mature the body of Christ. 
And so the alternative becomes that we might become and stay spiritual children, spiritual infants, man babies. Have you guys heard of man babies yet? Man babies are people who are the age of an adult male, who are the appearance of the adult male, but who behave and think like babies. They're unreliable. Man babies tend to collapse under stress and criticism. Man babies are reluctant to make commitments and to take responsibility. And man babies spend way too much time in front of video games and television and way too little time on the responsibilities of full-grown adult life. And what Paul is saying here to us is that When these gifts are not active in the church and building the church up, when we don't receive these gifts and allow ourselves to be built up and to be matured, we have the danger of all being spiritual man babies, spiritual infants, spiritual children, instead of the full-grown spiritual parents that we're meant to be. So in this case, the picture of the presence of a spiritual gift leaves behind a negative of its absence. I want to say that for you again because I want you to absorb this thought. The picture of the presence of a spiritual gift leaves behind a negative of its absence. Meaning that when the gift of apostleship and prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching, when those five gifts are operating together in the church and we receive them, we get a picture of what their presence looks like. We, who have been spiritual infants and children, grow up to be spiritual parents. But then the absence of those gifts, we've got a negative that's left behind. If those five gifts are absent, what happens? We remain spiritual infants and children. We remain spiritual man-babies. That's what happens when apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching are missing and unreceived from the church. Now, if that's what happens when those five gifts are missing, a question I would ask you today is this. When your gifts are missing from the church and from the world, What is the result? When your gifts are missing from the church and the world, what is the result? You see, what we're learning here is that the church functions like a body attached to Christ the head. And Paul talks about the way that the church works together with Christ the head in verses 15 and 16, where he goes on to say, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, the first thing that we get here is a picture of what it looks like when we grow up into maturity. When we grow into maturity, we grow into Christ. We mature into the image of Jesus. And so becoming a, a spiritual parent instead of a spiritual infant or child means we grow up to look more and more like Jesus in our character and in our conduct. And what we learn as well at the same time is something about the very nature of the church. We discover that in the church, Jesus is in charge. Paul says that Jesus is the head, which is another way of saying that Jesus is Lord. 
And that means that in the body of Christ, in the church, if Jesus is the head, he is the organizing principle. He is the one giving directions. We all receive messages from Jesus, and we respond to those messages from Jesus. And what Paul is strongly implying here is that when we receive a message, an instruction from Jesus, it's not a suggestion. It's his marching orders. It's what we are meant to do. Jesus is in charge. We discover as well that the rest of us are connected. The body of Christ consists of those who are connected to one another. Right here, Paul uses the image of knuckles. We are coming together like joints that are bringing a body together. Elsewhere, he talks about operating together like the different organs in a body. And when he does so, he says that it's unnatural for organs to try to operate independently. Meaning that if we are a toe, for instance, we're not meant to operate alone as a toe. No, we need the stomach and the digestive system to provide us with energy. We need the lungs to provide us with oxygen. We need the heart and the circulatory system to bring all those nutrients to us. We're not meant to work alone. We work together because we are connected. And we also discover in this passage that we are all essential Elsewhere, Paul says those members that feel the least important and those members that feel as if they are worthy of disgrace actually are the ones that we honor, that we clothe, that we take special care of. We are all essential. And when one of us is missing, the whole body suffers. You see, when one of us is missing from the body, when one of us is not receiving instructions from Jesus the head and doing the job that we are meant to do and responding, we become a little bit like a lip that's had a shot of Novocaine in it. A little while ago, I had this experience up close and personal again. I needed to have a filling repaired, and so the dentist gave me a shot, and it deadened my gum and my tooth, which was the goal. But as always happens, it deadened my lip and my cheek as well, which always seems to happen when I have to have dental work done. And if you've ever had it done, you know as well what it feels like. It feels like your, your cheek goes dead, but your lip and your tongue swell up to like three times their normal size. At least it feels like that anyway. And it makes it very difficult to talk because the parts of our body are meant to respond to the head and work together. And when they don't, we know how frustrating it can be. Typically, after I've had dental work, I go and I sit in a room all by myself <laughs> until all of the effects are gone because I just can't handle it. When a part of the body of Christ is not doing what it was made to do, it is very much like a lip that's been impacted by Novocaine. It's not receiving the messages that it's supposed to receive. It's not giving the response that it's supposed to give. It's not working along with every other part of the body to make the body function in a whole way like it's supposed to. And it's frustrating for the balance of the body. So I ask you today, are you like a lip that's been shot with Novocaine? 
Have you disconnected yourself from the messages that the head is sending to you? And if the head is sending the message to you, are you responding to that message the way you were designed to respond? Or are you disconnected? Because if you're disconnected, the body is hurting. The body is not functioning the way that it is supposed to. The job that you were made to do is either not being done or being done badly by someone who was not designed to do that job. You see, the church functions together as a unit like a body that is attached to Christ, the head. Now, that leads us to a conclusion today. And that conclusion is, let's use our God-given gifts to serve. Let's use our God-given gifts to serve. Now, I've spoken mostly about spiritual gifts today, but God has given us a multitude of gifts in life to prepare us for the ministry, the work that we have to do together. I like to use the acronym SHAPE because it helps me to remember kind of a schema for a lot of those gifts. SHAPE stands for, it begins with the letter S, it stands for spiritual gifts. That's what we've been talking about today. H stands for heart, because God has given each of us passions and burdens for places in the world that he wants us to be serving. A stands for abilities, which means those things that we were born good at that other people are not necessarily born good at. And we can get training and and expertise to help us with the abilities we were born with. The letter P stands for personality. Because while we are all one in Christ, we are all different and unique, and God gave us our personalities to suit us for a particular place of service. And then E stands for experiences. Because all the experiences of our lives, the good ones and the difficult ones, shape us into being the people we are today to be used by God in the places God wants to send us. We each have a unique shape to prepare us to serve. But that leaves us with a calling. Let's use our God-given gifts to serve. Now, I would love to stand before you today and say that I can help you discover your perfect God-given alignment with the place that God wants you to serve. I can help you analyze all of your gifts and design you for an optimal place of service. I would love to say that to you today, but I can't. Not yet, but soon. Wait. Soon we will be able to help you do that. But for now, what I would say to you is find a place to serve. Get in the game and begin doing the work of ministry that we were created for. But let's use our God-given gifts to serve in Jesus' name. You see, the point is not simply that we do stuff. Doing stuff is fine, but that's not the point of what I'm saying to you today. We wanna use our gifts to serve, but in Jesus' name. And by in Jesus' name, I mean that we find a place to serve where we are able to contribute to the work of Christ in this world and where we can speak openly about our faith in Christ. So we want to find a place to use our gifts to serve in Jesus' name. And let's use our God-given gifts to serve in a way that cultivates disciples, in a way that cultivates disciples. You see, as we serve people in Jesus' name, we're helping them to become disciples. That's what we want to be doing. As we serve people using our God-given gifts in Jesus' name alongside of others, 
then we're helping them to become disciples of Jesus themselves. And as we use our God-given gifts to serve people in Jesus' name, then we ourselves are being cultivated as disciples of Jesus. Let's use our God-given gifts to serve in Jesus' name, to serve and cultivate disciples in the process. In It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey eventually came to the conclusion that his life did matter, that it was important. He decided he wanted to live, and when he decided he wanted to live, he went back home, and his family all of a sudden recognized him again, and he discovered that everyone in town had taken up a collection to replace the money that the building and loan had had lost, and because of their collection, he was not going to go to jail. And he realized it's a wonderful, fantastic, vibrant, important life that, that he was living. It is a wonderful life. I ask you today, what would be missing from this world if you did not use the gifts that God has given to you? What difference would it make if your gifts were missing? It could be that my kids would never learn to eat. It could be that spiritual man babies multiply and go everywhere in the world. It could be that the world feels like a giant lip that's been shot with Novocaine, and it could be that Clarence the Angel never does get his wings at the end of the movie. The world is a worse place when you don't use the gifts that God has given you. The church is weaker when you don't use the gifts God has given you to serve. God has given each one of us gifts to serve in Jesus' name. God has given you gifts to use for his glory and to serve in Jesus' name. Let's use our God-given gifts to serve. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.